0: Due to the graphic nature of the personal accounts and content discussed in this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Many episodes will include graphic personal accounts and discussions of child sexual assault, domestic violence, physical abuse, rape, sexual situations, and suicide. Volta Saturday Survivors. This is Kendra and today I'm interviewing Becky and Becky has a, a very interesting story and um, has done a lot of uh, pre- preparation to be able to tell her story and like a lot of us she um, is a little bit nervous um, but I hope that uh, in the process of telling her story and feeling like she's safe to do so it'll be a um, it'll be healing and, um, it won't be so scary. So welcome to the podcast, Becky. We're happy to have you.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So, um, we really just let you tell your story in whatever direction that you'd like to go, but if you'd like to share a little bit about yourself and then I'll just allow you to go from there and take the platform to, um, share your story any, any way that you like. Okay. Okay.
1: Sounds good. Um, so I am, I, gosh, I don't even know where to start. I'm a single mom and I live in uh, Tennessee, just uh, slightly south of Nashville. And I have five kids. Um, two of them are grown, but because of economic circumstances, we're all kind of still living together. So our house is usually not, not boring. It's not calm. <laughs> um and um yeah I work a couple of jobs right now um hobbies when (laughs) when there's time for hobbies are um I play the piano I like to read and um I have two little kittens that I play with a lot so that's a little bit about me um yay kittens (laughs) 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 um so yeah I guess I'll start from the beginning. I actually, um, I did type out a few things, but I noticed that as I was typing stuff out, I just started getting emotional. So um, I, yeah, I guess there's a lot there. Usually I'm on the listening end of it. So it feels really foreign to be on the talking and sharing end of it. Um, So yeah, here we go. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's all yours. Um,
1: All right. So I actually grew up in a family of eight, um, mom and dad and six siblings. We, I was born in Michigan and I'm number five of six. Um, there's three girls, three boys, three girls, three boys. I'm the third girl. So, um, kind of an interesting place in my family. I was talking to my niece today about how, um, I do put a little bit of stock in birth order and all of that, but not, you know, I I don't think that's the end all, you know, catch all of why people are the way they are. But I do feel like there was some contribution to how I turned out as a result of where I was in the family. Um, You know, by the time my mom got to number five and number six, I know she was tired (laughs) and um, a lot of her energy, creative energy, physical energy, all of that had gone into, my older siblings. And I know she cared about me, but I also know that she had, you know, just less energy and less resources, like, um, emotional, mental resources to go around at that point because they were spread pretty thin. Um, but yeah, I always knew that she loved me. I always knew that she cared about me. Um, I just never really felt like I had a close relationship with her and I, and I still don't really, um, to this day. So, um, some of my early, so it's interesting. My childhood, I can kind of split it into two time periods. I moved to Tennessee when I was 11 um, and ended up, you know, graduating from high school in Tennessee. But when we lived in Michigan, I don't have a ton of childhood memories. But the memories that I do have were. Very, very heavy in the church. My dad was always in a pretty high leadership position. He was bishop. He was in the state presidency. Um, One memory that I had randomly a few weeks ago was that when we moved, um, because we were so heavily involved in the church, they actually had a sacrament meeting devoted to a farewell for our family, which, of course, like that's never I've never, ever seen that or heard of that being done ever but i do remember that because it was my first talk in sacrament meeting um i remember our bishop at the time being really super emotional is that something you've ever heard of is a family farewell
0: yeah so um when we lived in colorado uh there were things like that all the time but if if there were like in utah if there's <laughs> If there's a family moving in or a family moving out and they always have somebody speaking, then nobody else is going to be speaking, you know, Mm, there's mm -hmm. because it's the wards and the and the churches are so full, you know, or had had Mm -hmm. been in the past. But yeah, like when we had baptisms in Colorado, um, they had the day basically to themselves. You know, sometimes there would be they'd be doubled up on baptisms or whatever. But in Utah, it's like a group. A group baptism, you know, all the kids are yeah. baptized together. Um, yeah. But
1: the only other thing that really stands out to me in my time in Michigan was um, how, I guess, how creative my parents both were. Like, I remember my mom being super involved in primary and they did all kinds of stuff. And, you know, this was back when they did road shows and different, like, fundraising things. And, um, we had a, a carnival in our city every year, and the church always, um, like, the members were asked to bake things to raise money for the ward, and, you know, they did all, just all kinds of things to raise money. Um, my, I remember my older teenage um, brother and sisters were super involved with, like, road shows and um like dance things and just like all kinds of things. It was, it was really a fun time. I remember for them, it was kind of boring for me because it was just tagging along and walking around the buildings and getting to know cracks and crevices where nobody was. (laughs) And, you know, um, and then, you know, my dad, my dad was gone, but he wasn't gone as much as he was when we moved to Tennessee. I feel like he always had a project around the house and he was, that just there a lot more frequently but as soon as we moved to Tennessee which was when I, I was 11 so it was like sixth grade essentially so middle school um we weren't there a year and he was already called to be bishop and um it, it just was <laughs> I never saw him I never saw him um he moved there there was a big GM plant that was actually I don't know if anybody remembers the Saturn vehicles, but there was a big Saturn plant that was built right by where uh, we were moving to. And his company opened a, a branch of it where we lived in Tennessee. So he was not only busy running this this branch of this company that was, you know, like a Detroit based company, but he was gone a lot um, as a bishop, as a home teacher, all the things um the place that we lived in tennessee was very rural and so the ward boundaries were ginormous i mean over an hour at least from one side to the other it just was huge ward boundaries so if he was gone home teaching or if there was a a a board member who needed something and they lived really far away. Sometimes just the driving time alone was two hours. And then, you know, plus the time that he spent there helping the ward member. So I just, I didn't see my dad very much. My mom was usually involved with callings and visiting teaching and all of that. And then, you know, once I started high school, I was done a lot too. So I don't really feel like, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't feel like we had that sense of like, family and doing a lot of stuff together as a family in the time that we lived in Tennessee. But that being said, we, I mean, I was, I was that upright person who did everything. I did everything and I did it all right. I did, you know, I got good grades at school. I got my young womanhood recognition early. Like, you know, normally that took six years. I got it in like five and a half No, less than that, like five, got like five years. Um, Shortly after I became a Laurel, I got that. I was always uh, like in a leadership position within young women's, like, you know, beehive president or Miami counselor or whatever. Um, I didn't swear. I dressed modestly. Um, I don't know about you or where you grew up, but we had had early morning seminary. So not the, what is it, release time? Is that what that's called in Utah? Um,
0: Um, Yeah. Yep. Release time.
1: Yeah. So we had early morning seminary. So my church was 15 minutes from my house and seminary started at 6, 6.30, early. I just know yeah, it was really, really early. early. <laughs> awful. Um, and on top of the normal seminary program, it, we also had, it was almost like an honors seminary program where I think most of the other youth had like 25 scripture mastery to memorize. We had 40 every year. Um, and then if we memorized all 40, if we read the um, standard work that we were studying, if we, if our attendance was above whatever, and if our grade was above whatever, then we got a really nice plaque. Um, I actually might still have those plaques. I did not hold on to a lot, but I remember working really hard for those plaques. So I was a seminary graduate, but not just a seminary graduate. I was like above and beyond. I was that person. Um I graduated from high school, I went to BYU, I mean, like, yeah, so if, <laughs> you know, a lot of times when people talk about people leaving the church, they're like, oh, it's because they didn't have enough faith. No, I was the one that did everything, you know, I, I did everything that I was supposed to do. So, um, went to BYU, my freshman year was both amazing and horrible. Um, it was my, obviously my first time away from home you know, my family was all in Tennessee, it wasn't like I could just hop in the car and go down the road. It was a plane ride. um, And I did not, you know, I didn't go home very often. And uh, my roommates were fantastic. But I was very lonely. Like, I didn't have a ton of, I guess I had social opportunities, but I didn't really use a lot of them. I instead I studied or I, I don't know, I, I was maybe a little bit more of a loner than some of the other people that were my age. I just I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't really like huge crowds, so I didn't enjoy going to the football games. I just, you know, like, so anyway, um, so I came home my freshman year for the summer, and that's when I met my future, future husband. Um, we dated, and by the end of the summer, he proposed to me, so I went back to BYU with a ring. Um, we got married that December, so, um, but that being said, my parents had gotten divorced about, well, less than a year, less than a year before that, my parents had gotten divorced. Um, it was really, it was a pretty horrible divorce. Um, my dad was uh, Bishop and oh, it was very messy. <laughs> it was very, very messy. Uh, mm-hmm. Very, yeah, lots of drama. Yeah. At the At the time I was really, you know really angry. Um, my senior year really sucked. Like I, <laughs> um, my fresh I was in marching band. So my freshman, or freshman, my first semester, my fall semester of high school was super busy. And then um, the second semester was not as busy. And there was, you know, instead of being able to enjoy that last semester of my senior year of high school, it was there was a lot of gossip. There was a lot of whatever I asked to actually move up to release society early because the young women's program was just super toxic. Lots of gossip, not just from the girls, but the leaders too. Like it was awful. Um, and then they officially got divorced the first semester of my, uh, freshman year at BYU. Um, and my dad got remarried really quickly. Um, uh, my mom is still single. It's been, I don't even know over 25 years. It's been a long time. Um, and yeah, so it was messy. Um, and probably more on that later, but, um, I know that when I decided to get married, it was a, you know, you need to understand that I'm finishing my, my degree. Like I'm not going to just marry you and we're not going to start having babies. I'm going to finish my degree. And he was supportive of that. And I actually had my first child, um, three weeks before I graduated from BYU so I did finish that degree um and then we moved back to Tennessee so um this is kind of a funny story about um I'm kind of like going forward and then backtracking a little bit but about a month before I got married my mother-in-law and uh, father-in-law came over um I would I had actually flown home that for a weekend to, um, do a bridal shower at home. Mm-hmm. And, um, my mother-in-law had heard through the grapevine that I had, um, gone on birth control. Oh, I don't know why that was a big deal, but apparently. Or why it was, a big why deal it was her she, business. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Or like why that yeah. was even a for a topic of gossip. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. And who told uh, her? She, Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't even know that I, I probably did at the time, but I don't remember. Um, mm-hmm. But they, so my, my, uh, he's now my ex-husband, but he is from a little teeny tiny town in southeastern Utah called Blanding. So I think growing up in rural small town, Utah is very different than growing up in Provo or Salt Lake or someplace like that. I think definitely. it's a, just, a, yeah, <laughs> just different. Yeah, definitely. And, <laughs> So they came over and sat me down and had all of these talks by prophets and general authorities about birth control and how using birth control is not what the Lord wants us to do. Yep. And I listened and I was respectful. I listened. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I gave her her turn to talk and I said, uh, you know, have you said everything that you want to say? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay, I would like for you to hear me out, please, because I have some things to say too. And mm-hmm. I started sharing, and within two minutes, her whole body language was she had leaned back. She was looking all over the place. She, just, she wasn't meeting my gaze. She was not, I could tell like she really wasn't listening to anything that I was saying. And at that point I started getting mad and my mom was actually in the room with me Mm -hmm. and she could tell that that conversation was going nowhere. (laughs) Oh, and she could tell when, when my voice started getting louder, she kind of stopped me and was just like, you know what, maybe we just need to agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was, I was, I was still just fuming because I just thought, are you kidding me? Like I gave her so much time and space to share what she needed to share,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what? Like I don't get that same space given to me. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I got I got really mad, and we ended that. And it took a it actually took a long time for me to connect with my mother in law on a level that I wanted to connect with her. Because at that point, I was like. That's not a relation. I don't want to have a relationship like that with anybody. Like, I don't right. care who you are. That's not well, respectful. Yeah,
0: yeah, it sounds like there's no it's no give and take there. It's just um, I'm right and you're wrong and I'm going to tell you what the Lord wants you to do. But if you decide not to follow that, then I'm going to tell you what the Lord wants you to do. Yes. (laughs) Decide not to follow that. Then I'm going to tell you what the Lord wants you to do. (laughs) So, You know, it's like you can't argue. It's when somebody tells you, you know, you're trying to have a conversation with somebody and you're trying to explain to them your point of view and their response is, well, I have a testimony of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You you, You can't argue with it. Mm hmm. And people think yeah. that it's it's within their bounds to be able to make decisions for other people, or to say, you know, what other people shouldn't shouldn't be doing, and shouldn't and shouldn't be feeling, and shouldn't and shouldn't be, you know, with their personal life. It's what yeah. it's like the underwear. It's like the underwear thing. I noticed yeah. you're not wearing your garments. Um, <laughs> why are you looking for my underwear? Yes. You know, there's no, there's no boundaries. There's, there's no boundary.
1: You know. Yes. And it's so funny because it's, they don't even, there's no realization of, oh, that's actually not an appropriate thing to ask. They literally think that, yeah, that's completely and totally everybody's business because we've all been in yeah. temple and therefore. Right. <laughs> and that's how you
0: tell whether or not somebody is worthy. You know, yeah. if they're wearing, if they're wearing clothes that are covering their garments, they're, they're following the letter of the law, they're doing these things that are um, showing that they're very scrupulous in, mm-hmm. in all of their, you know, their actions and their deeds. Um, but yeah, and people think that they have the right to um, interfere with your life and ask you why you're not wearing your garments or ask you, you know, it's like people going to the grocery store. You go to the grocery store. If you have alcohol, or if you have—let me like make it even better. If you have coffee in your cart,
1: and <laughs> oh, you yeah. meet somebody
0: yeah. at the store, oh, the judgment! Oh, absolutely, <laughs>
1: absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you must. You, you're, you're drinking the devil's liquid, and therefore you are a black sheep, and you need to be called to repentance. And it's their right yeah. to do that. And it's yeah, yeah it's ridiculous.
0: I, when I go to the grocery store now, I don't even get a cart. I just carry a couple of things of Vizies or White Claws, hoping that somebody <laughs> sees me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, not
0: really, but you know, I don't care anymore. It's it's interesting yeah. how when you when you don't care anymore, you know,
1: right. it doesn't I, matter. Uh- I i realize, like you're, you know, you're interviewing me. Do you live in a highly LDS-populated area where you are? Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Saint George, Utah, I think is more more conservative and more Mormon than the rest of Utah, as far as percentage-wise. It's it's very conservative, wow. yeah. And uh, okay. yeah, so that's fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. I, th- that's not the case here at all. I, I actually, around the corner from me, there are some members that live there. But the only reason I know that is because um, uh, they are. Let's see, my kids' aunt and uncle. Hmm. Let's see, <laughs> my dad, my my kids' aunt and uncle on like on their dad's side are also aunt and uncle to the kids that live in this house if that makes sense. But oh, so, like there's a, yeah. sort of a family connection and that's the only reason that I know that, you know, they live there and yeah. they're, they're members and whatever. But yeah, like I, I have no idea. Yeah.
0: What you were saying <laughs> earlier about how your your ward boundaries were very large, our, our ward boundaries were very large in Colorado. Here, it's like you can walk to the church because the ward gotcha. boundaries are so small. Um, but in Colorado, um, we our church building was like 10 miles away. There's no yeah.
1: way.
0: You, I mean, I guess yeah. you could walk that, but you're not going to get there on time. You're going to totally no. miss the sacrament.
1: which is <laughs> the whole reason you go, of course. So Exactly.
3: Yeah. It's the whole reason you go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So it's a, di- yeah, it's definitely a different world, a different way to grow up. And well, and the thing mm-hmm. that's interesting, so kind of going back to my childhood was, um, A lot of, you know, my week, a lot of it revolved around the Sunday meetings and then like mutual. And I know that I know, well, at least the people that I know who grew up in Utah um, going to church on Wednesday nights was not necessarily a priority. Um, And it was, it was for us, like for our wards, it was a big deal to go to Wednesday night activities and the people that were not there, like, they were like, they were missed, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was just a big deal. So, yeah, you know, if you didn't count Saturday, I was literally at church every day starting in high school because of seminary. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just very, it's a very different culture. It's a very different world on a lot of levels. Um, but the nice thing is, is I had a really nice mix of like, I had uh, most of my friends were not members of the church, you know, um, they I live in the Bible Belt, so they went to other churches, but, you know, most of my friends were not members of the church. Um, So it was really nice to have uh, that variety of not only um, religious beliefs, but also race, culture, like all this, all these different things. That's what I grew up with here. And I loved that so much. Um, I did notice when I went to BYU, there was not that diversity And it was so bland and vanilla. So, like, now Mm -hmm. I follow accounts like Black Menaces. And I'm like, this is amazing. You guys are doing such great work because people, yeah, I mean, even my roommates and whatnot, like, people just, they weren't, I don't know. They they did not have as much of um, an education in diversity and culture as, yeah. And they don't
0: have an education in tolerance either, you know, like no, they're the chosen people Mm -hmm. and they have the right to, um, interfere with other people's, uh, with other people's rights in general. And there's no boundaries, you know, even with the leaders and the teachers, the professors, there's no boundaries.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, um, So I guess one other thing that kind of, so I guess going back to my parents' divorce, um, shortly after we moved back to Tennessee, I decided that I wanted to go to grad school. I wanted to get into counseling, um, marriage counseling in particular. And there was a program in Nashville that had, uh, it was a master's in marriage and family therapy. So Lydia, my oldest, was about one when I started classes and my in-laws were actually super supportive of that. Um, they actually, I had night classes and Saturday classes and they kept Lydia, um, on the evenings that I had classes. And if their dad had to, if her dad had to work on Saturdays, they kept her then too. They were really super supportive. Um, I loved it cause it gave me time out and, she had a blast over there and of course she was young so she doesn't have memories of that but her aunts do and her grandparents do they remember that that time with her and um I I enjoyed that I really loved it because you know I'd come home and they would have taught her a new word or they you know just they just were so excited to have a, a grandbaby or a, an and a niece close by and so it was it was a fun time um and I graduated with my master's degree. Let's see, my second child was four months old when I graduated with my master's, so um, that was interesting. It was at a Nazarene college, um, so that was very different than BYU, but not really.
0: <laughs> same, uh, same, same religious expectations, different moral standards maybe or yeah. what, what how was it different yeah.
1: yeah maybe maybe not different moral standards uh, same same strict religious standards but some mm. of those beliefs were different like they believe in the trinity and i don't and so like mm. i remember having it being tested over doctrine stuff and i'm like what does this have to do with marriage and family therapy and i remember getting right. a little you know, testy and grumpy about that, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know. Um, but that was, it was a, it was a fun program. I actually stay connected to um, two of my friends that I graduated with. Um, oh, good. Yeah. And, you know, obviously they weren't members and um, they're all, you know, active in their religions, but it was still just nice to have that diversity, you know, just that difference of belief, but it didn't stop us from coming together and being friends, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I loved that. Um, Let's see. I feel like those years were kind of a blur because um, my husband at the time worked a lot of night shifts. Um, You know, I worked off and on. Um, I started working towards my license, but then at that point I had, um, well, during that whole process, I had three kids, and they were four and under. And of course, you know, I'm not the the breadwinner of the family, and so um, it just got to be too much trying to take care of my my three kids and working on licensure requirements, which were it, they're they're pretty hefty for marriage counseling. Um, mm-hmm. The the licensure requirements are pretty big. Um, it's different for a licensed practitioner. Uh, like no. LPC, licensed professional counseling and it's different for social workers but um the mft road is just a little bit more involved um so Mm -hmm. i put that on hold and um worked some odd jobs here and there until we discovered that um my husband was just not able to support us and so we ended up being um I don't think we were evicted, but we got to a point where it was like, we're not going to be able to pay rent anymore. <laughs> so mm-hmm. my mom offered to let us move in with her. We lived with her for a year and I went to, back oh. to work. I worked two jobs with these three mm. kids. Um, he worked one, he worked one job. And, um, and at that time, I did not know it at the time, but at that time he was um, pretty heavy into pornography um, mm. He started having an issue with pornography before we got married. And when I say an issue, like my background is in counseling. I don't think someone who looks at porn every once in a while has an issue. I don't even think someone Mm -hmm. that looks at porn on a regular basis has an issue. I think someone who looks at porn uh, to the degree that he did and it it affected our relationship the way that it did and it affected um, his life the way it did, like his life literally Mm -hmm. revolved around it. That's when you've got a problem with it, just like if it that yeah. if it was alcohol or anything else. and so um so, unbeknownst so to a, me. Mm-hmm. oh, go ahead.
0: No, I was gonna say I, I just have a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. so with the way that the the way that we in the church are um, are sexually repressed, you know, we are mm-hmm. not there's not good sex education. there yeah. is um there are all these standards and morals and expectations of of young people um, as far as all the way through um, young men's, young women's. So like trying to repress their hormonal urges um, and and laying shame and guilt upon them rather than actually giving them good tools for consent um, and helping them to understand enthusiastic consent and understanding how to, you know, when you do get married that, um, you know, this is what, um, marriage is like, and this is what sex is like because if they're not getting a good sex education like they don't in Utah, Mm -hmm. then, you know, I remember when I got married, I, um, it, it was like, you're going, you're, you're going through and trying to, um, be as good as possible. Like I, I had sex before I was married. I, you know, it was related to, more to my well. Anyway, I'm not going to explain that. Um, <laughs> now I see it completely differently than I did all through my marriage. But, um, mm-hmm. I think that they tell you, no, 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 no. Bad, bad, bad. Sex is bad. You're not allowed to have sex. You're not allowed to pet. You're not allowed to neck, which I don't even understand why they call it that. Um, I know.
2: (laughs) You don't, don't
0: say, oh, I'm petting you. I'm petting you. Oh, yeah, it's not, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. Um, but well, this, this is me rambling just for a second. Um. They play these dumb games in, um, in young men's, young women's, where they have like an orange or an apple under their neck. Do you remember those games where you would I have do. to get, get the orange or the apple from the person that's next to you? Yeah. That seems like necking. Uh,
1: yes, yes, <laughs> isn't, yes.
0: Isn't that the appearance of evil? You know? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the appearance of evil. (laughs) Now there's going to be a new standard that that's not allowed anymore at any of the activities. Um, You're welcome. I brought that to your attention that that's like, you know, the appearance of evil. Um, Anyway, so, um, but then when you get married, it's like, there's a switch that's supposed to turn on. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, all of a sudden, you're not supposed to be sexual, but now you have to be sexual. Mm -hmm you're not, you're not told that you're supposed to learn how to be with each other. You know, it's like, there's just no communication about sex. There's no communication about consent. There's no communication about what a what a healthy sexual relationship looks like. There's, you know, it's just so neglected. Um, I don't remember where I was going with that, but, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, and I do feel like to a point that, um, that contributed to his problems. Um, I really do because I, I, I think honestly, that's one reason why pornography is such a huge issue in the mm-hmm. church anyway. And it's not just the Mormon church. It's a lot of evangelical right. denominations. Um, so I do think that did contribute to it. Um, do you I think that do- the hiding, having to hide it,
0: you know, like, If, if I was not Mormon, you know, during the time that I was most of my marriage, would I have, would I have felt the need to hide something like that? If I was doing that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's something that's shameful. So it has to be hidden. It's not something that, um, I mean, there's so much fear involved with, if I go to my wife or my husband and say, I have a, I've been looking at pornography. It's not just a conversation it's, it's a major issue. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it's the end of the world. And it's not about it's not about um, the husband or the wife that has the issue with, with looking at pornography in an addictive way. It becomes about the spouse, you don't love me. It's not, um, you know, you're not attracted to me anymore. It's not about it's about them you know it's mm-hmm. about their addiction to whatever it is whether it's drugs alcohol pornography excessive use of whatever yeah is about something inside of them that yeah. they feel inadequate they feel unworthy they feel guilty and shameful but the spouse cuz i'm i have some experience with this with not that my husband was looking at pornography all the time, but he was looking at pornography and it was devastating to me as a Mormon woman. It was devastating. I -hmm. felt like I was completely betrayed. I felt like I, um, that he didn't love me, that he, you know, didn't was not attracted to me anymore. That, um, our sexual relationship wasn't one that, that was fulfilling for him, Mm -hmm. but it's a different, it's, it's, it's a different issue when it becomes it's not it's not about me. It's about him. It's about why yeah. he's choosing to do that. Yeah. But we make it about us as Mormon women. And it becomes yes. guilt and shame and you're a horrible person and you need to go to the bishop. And if you don't go to the bishop, then I'm gonna go to the bishop and tell him. You know, what I mean it's like mm-hmm. more consent issues, more privacy issues where we can't just have good healthy communication.
1: Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I'm good no, at I- right now. No, 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 You're 100% there. And, and I do, I know that I had a little bit of that in me. I think, actually, I think that's very normal for any woman to be like, oh my gosh, like, what is wrong with me? Am I, you know, yeah. I think that that's normal. But for me, what bothered me more than anything was the dishonesty. One, it was yep. the dishonesty. It was, don't like, don't lie to me. There, mm-hmm. There's a, There's a lot of things that I can handle, but dishonesty, I can't. I can't yeah. I just, you know, I don't expect perfection. I don't expect, mm-hmm. you know, uh, any of that. I just expect honesty like that. I feel like transparent, like not just telling the truth, but just transparency, um, all of that, like everything that goes along with that whole bubble of what honesty actually means. And
2: mm-hmm. it,
1: what happened, well, and I can get into this later, but what what happened is that the whole issue of pornography was just this little teeny tiny tip of the iceberg and then once Mm -hmm. the the rug was pulled back out of all of that what i found was there was gaslighting and there was manipulation Mm -hmm. and there was um little bits of um person narcissistic personality traits that were there that um even after marriage counseling they were not going away they weren't going away
0: Do you think, um, just going back to your Mm mother-in-law, the very first, is this the same mother-in-law?
1: Yes. Yeah. I've only been married once. (laughs) uh, Okay.
0: (laughs) I don't know all the things, but now, um, so, uh, just that conversation about birth control from your Mm mother-in-law, it makes me wonder. So my husband was abused, abused by his mom, but like, Mm in physical, emotional abuse, um, he lies or lied because that was the way he learned to protect himself.
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: so thinking about your mother-in-law, she was right. You know what she Mm -hmm. said to you, she was right. And, and the church breeds narcissistic people It breeds people who have, have this belief that they can interfere with the rights of other people and then gaslight them into believing that you were right. You know, Mm -hmm. that control every, yeah, it's all about control. Mm
2: Yep.
0: And I'm not, I'm not giving your ex-husband a pass. I'm just like, I, I have this tendency to look at what, what is the underlying reason? Like what, why, what is this about him that Mm -hmm. caused him to feel like he needed to lie to you? What, yeah. what was the, um, what was he trying to protect himself from? And, and that's one of the other things with the Mormon church is that there is, it's not honest. There's nothing honest about it. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they, and, and like people like you, people, um, like me, when I was trying really hard to be a good person and to follow all the rules and everything, people like people like you are, are not as common, you know, I think that there's the scrupulosity and we're the people actually, the people who are very scrupulous, who try to do everything right, that actually become victims of narcissists, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 I think you're right. I do. Uh, Based on like my experience and people that I've met who are similar, I I absolutely believe that 100%. Um, And I have, I have, yeah, hours upon hours upon hours wondering why is he the way that he is Um, within our marriage. Like I went back to like things that he shared from his childhood and um, just a lot of things and to try to understand him so that we could work through the issues that were there and then move forward as a couple, because that was really, I I did not want to be a statistic. My parents got divorced. I did not want to be one of those statistics. That was a huge reason why I got, you know, my bachelor's in psychology and then my master's, and like, I, I did not want to be a statistic. And I loved my husband, and I loved my kids, and I wanted our marriage to stay intact. And I didn't think that just a little bit of difficulty here and there with a, of an, an addiction or different things, like I was like, I was that person that was like, no, no, this is no, this is not going to destroy our marriage. We are going to make this work. And I was very very intentional with that um for a while (laughs) um I so well actually this is kind of a good place to to start with that before um before I found out uh just how bad his uh porn problem was I came to him I at this point we had four kids um after our third, I was done. Like I'd literally sold all of our stuff. I'm like, I'm I'm Mm. done. Like my hands are full. I'm done. Um, and we got pregnant about three and a half, almost four years later. Uh, there's like a four year gap between my third and fourth child. And I thought that I would be super disappointed. I was not, I was super excited. I could not wait to have, um, this baby and she was so much fun, but there was that gap, which and by today's standards, that's not really much of a gap, but in uh, right. the Mormon church, that's a pretty darn big gap. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't, I didn't want it to be this, you know, three kids. And then this one that's kind of by herself off, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And, um, so I, I came to my husband and I said, I'd really like to have one more baby and then, and then be done. Um, and he said, no, he said, no. Nope. And I said, "Will you pray about it?" No, no, not, I, I don't think so. Um, and then when I found out about his issue with porn, um, he came to me within about a month, and he said, uh, "God told me we needed to have another baby." Oh. Yeah,
0: yeah. That was <laughs> yeah. that was after you found out about the issue with the pornography.
1: Yeah, and I said there is no way <laughs> we are having another kid. Are you kidding me? No, right, right. <laughs> There's no way. Do you think that?
0: Do you think that him coming to you and saying that was his way of kind of manipulating? Yes, the situation. Yeah,
1: absolutely, hands down. Because he yeah. could tell that mm. I was struggling.
2: Yeah,
1: um, I I was getting pretty depressed. Um, I I really was. I was struggling a lot. Um, I remember at one point actually talking to him about it and saying, you know, I am really, I'm not doing good. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I can't really, I can't really listen to you right now because right now this time of healing, it's about me and I need to focus on me right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So well. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Day. So, and, mm-hmm. I, I remember looking at him and walking away and stopping and looking at him and like lashing out and, are you serious like I am literally mm-hmm. giving you all of my time and attention and the five minutes that I just need a little bit of validation mm-hmm. and I yeah I know hun, I know this is really hard I, it's about you like I don't ask for anything I am asking for mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. of space for me. And, mm-hmm. um, we can get into this later, but I've learned in the last like five years or so a little bit more about the Enneagram. Do you know much oh, yeah. about the Enneagram? Okay, so yeah, I'm a I think nine. I'm, I'm an eight. You're yep. an eight. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, I'm the one that's like, I'm going to make myself small so that there's room mm-hmm. for everybody else. And, um, yeah, that, that was definitely one moment that I did not back down. And I'm like, no, that's not okay. And I think at that point he knew that if he wanted to keep our marriage intact, I needed to get pregnant again.
0: Mm, yep.
1: So, um,
0: do, it you, was- do you think that in the Mormon church that people, um, that women in general, it, so I, maybe I should just say, I think, um, and yeah. in, in the church, I've noticed, I noticed that women make themselves small. You know, they make yeah. themselves not a burden. They make yeah. themselves not, um, you know, no, not have the attention put on them. Um, and so attention is put on them in other ways where they're, you know, there's women that are trying to be like completely perfect physically mm-hmm. um, or scrupulous, you know, yeah. the, the best teacher, the best primary teacher the best mom you know but then you lose yourself you don't you don't even know who you are anymore because you're trying to be small so your husband can shine and Mm -hmm. so they can you know you can support them in their calling and there's no there's no credit to the women there's no you know so women learn not to take credit women learn not to take uh, not to be a burden
1: yes yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. I think that um, <clears throat> I think that that's also something. It's not just a, a doctrinal thing, but it's a cultural thing too. Like I I've heard little bits and pieces mm-hmm. of doctrine that support that. Like they really support that. Mm-hmm. Just like you need to be putting your whole heart and soul into being a mother and what is a, mom, a mom's job is 24 7 it is 24 7 if you are a stay-at-home mom if you're a working mom whatever it is a 24 7 job and um it's like laundry and dishes it's a job that never ends and it is so easy but then to lose when you're yourself.
0: working two jobs what was that and,
1: and so it it is really easy to lose yourself because all you're doing is yeah. focusing on these little people that need you or bigger people Mm -hmm. or whatever the case may be, but yeah, like on somebody else that needs you. So yeah, it's so easy to lose perspective of yourself and what you like Mm -hmm. and what you think even and your opinions and everything, Mm -hmm. everything.
0: Yeah. And then when you have two jobs on top of that, or you're going to school and you're working and Mm -hmm. you're trying to be the best mom that you can be, but you're the one doing all of it. Your spouse is still getting, credit for it they're still oh. getting credit for
2: yeah
0: for all of it they're yeah you know you're still supporting them and I've had the same kind of situation where my husband has worked part-time for the majority of our marriage and I've been working full-time I've been working full-time plus a um plus going to school mm-hmm. plus working a another prn job or an as-needed job you know yeah. we we push ourselves to the point that, cause we have to, sometimes we have to be able to support our families. Yeah. And if we're married to somebody who is not willing to step up to the plate and actually support the family, when that's what's expected in the church, mm-hmm. then the women end up picking it up and supporting the family. And then, and then we're abnormal, you know, <laughs> we, don't, we don't fit in, in the church because we don't have as much time to spend time on a calling but they're still going to give us a huge calling
1: yes. you know yeah
0: it, it mm-hmm. it's it's all very very messed up
1: yeah it is it's very very messed up and and the the way that women unfortunately you know i think it makes us very sick i think it's no wonder that there's depression serious anxiety um people with eating disorders like they're so Much Um, for me, it's my hormones get super duper out of balance, um, and that affects everything. So, Mm -hmm. you know, stress hormones. Yes, yeah, and and Um, sexual
0: hormones, sex hormones, but stress hormones cause issues with all the other parts of your body too. So. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah. hands down, hands down. So yeah, it's it's rough. It's it's rough. Um, There was so. So I did go ahead and I went along with what he said and I thought, well, maybe he's stepping up now and being the, the priesthood holder that he, like, uh, let me back up just a little bit. You said something about, you know, do you think it's because his mom, this or that? And I don't know. I think that I, this is what I think. And I don't know, but I think that image um, in general image in the church is everything, how you look to other people, to the other members, to your family. Mm-hmm. That is the most important thing. And I think yep. that he just took it to the extreme.
2: Mm. I think
1: it started when he was a kid. I heard stories from his brother. Mm. I know it started when he was a kid. He would His image and looking like the best Peter priesthood that he could possibly look like was more important to him than relationships then authenticity then all of that and that continued on as an adult Um, my observation of course I'm not in his mind I'm not I don't you know know his heart this was just what I experienced and what I observed Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of it was a a, uh, grooming isn't the right word but like I, I literally think that it was the church had a lot to do with it him yeah. whether directly yeah. or indirectly um and that is why he is the way that he is
0: yeah so if you so this is something that's come up in other pot other podcast episodes other interviews um when when we're told so if if we go to the bishop and we confess something and it's mm-hmm. a big enough confession that or depending on the bishop also you know because different bishops are going to punished differently for different things. Yeah. Um, when you go to the bishop and you know that this bishop is someone who is going to most likely give you some consequences, you have a, a scarlet letter put, put on you. You can't take a mm-hmm. sacrament. You can't um, say prayers in sacrament meeting or in, in meetings. You can say your own personal prayers. You can't teach lessons. You can't hold a calling. You You know, if you're disfellowshipped or excommunicated, um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's visible people know. So I think that Christina had said something about, um, I think it was radio free Mormon that, um, Mormonism makes liars out of all of us and, and it's all about self-preservation. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not just about the image it, you know, it, it absolutely is about the image because you go to church and everybody looks the part. You go to church and everybody's in their Sunday best. You go to church and all the kids are lined up in a row and are well behaved, except for your kids, because you know, (laughs) my kids, your kids, you know, we feel like our kids are never well behaved and and we compare ourselves to everybody else. And um, but but if you don't lie, if you don't lie in that bishop's interview, if you don't lie to your wife people are not going to accept the consequences of their behavior because the consequences of their behavior, their behavior, put a scarlet letter on them. Mm -hmm. Um, because if their wife is not going to go to church with them, or is not going to want to sit next to them in church or, um, or their husband or whoever, the, the appearance is more important than the actual problems. You know, they're not, they're not willing to manage the problems. They want to, they want to look the part, even if that causes more damage. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, that's, that's, that is exactly, that's exactly it. Um, and it's interesting that you, um, <laughs> that you mentioned, um, lying, uh, like li- lying to your wife or whatever. I don't know if this is accurate, but in one of our marriage counseling sessions, when we left the session, um, I could tell that there was something off in him and I could tell for a few weeks. And every time I asked him about it, he would always bring it back to me. Like he would ask questions to the point where it made me think that it was me. And and this was, this yep. was the theme, our entire marriage. And I started like seeing mm-hmm. it while we were going to marriage counseling and, and, um, so one of these sessions we were leaving and I said, look, I literally feel like I bore my soul these last few sessions because the way you're painting me is this marriage is on the rocks and it's my fault. And so I am literally putting myself out there in a, in an environment that I do not feel safe. I don't mm-hmm. feel safe yeah.
2: because
1: of, because of what I'm feeling within the space between the two of us. Yeah, And he, he admitted to me on that walk. He said, well, yeah, I have been lying to you because I, I'm still viewing porn. And I said, well, is there a reason why you're not telling me? Because I've told you that our marriage is going to be fine as long as I'm getting honesty from you. Like, It's mm-hmm. the hiding and the lying and the lack of just transparency that's killing our marriage. And he's like, well, my our bishop said that it was okay yeah. for me to not tell you. Is what he said he he blamed it on the bishop he said the bishop said it was okay if i didn't tell you mm-hmm. and i yeah. <laughs> that very well may happen but really like yeah my my bishop yeah. who i have told over and over and over that all i want is for my husband to be honest with me like he told you that it's okay to lie mm-hmm. to me like so
0: did you ever have the situation where um, it sounded like you were kind of alluding to this in in like counseling sessions where you're trying to explain a, a problem or you're trying to talk to them about this is the thing that's bothering me. And instead of saying, okay, I can understand where you're coming from um, and I can try to see your perspective and kind of reflect on how I'm behaving to see if I can kind of figure this out. Instead of doing something like that, it's it's all about deflection. It's all about, will you do this? Well, you um, you you got mad at me this one time, so I can't tell you the truth. You, okay. you you react this way.
1: That's really interesting that you say that because with him it was more passive aggressive. It was more subtle, which I think was in a lot of ways, more harmful to me because the way that it was said and the way that it was done was so subtle. And it was so easy for me to just turn it back on me and go, I'm feeling this way because I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading my scriptures enough. I'm not journaling enough. I'm not but my mm-hmm. second relationship, I have had two long-term relationships in my life, and one was my marriage, and one was the relationship that I got into after my marriage that ended a few years ago. But he was more active, aggressive, like deflecting the way that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Same same things. This person grew up in a rural town in Utah. Um I, yeah <laughs> same story different guy I guess yeah but it was that well, it's discussion. all gaslighting right yeah it is
0: and it's all gaslighting it yeah they you know whether it's passive or aggressive or passive-aggressive
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um you
0: know they there's it's it's kind of like that uh you have a conversation you think it's going really well and you think you're finally getting to a point where you're having um a good connection where you're making agreements and then um within a week or two they're like i never said that
1: yes yep. that happened to you too oh yeah. so many times so many times
0: yeah so and then when you ask them to write it down let's let's write down our agreement so we both know what the agreement is they won't do it because they don't want to be yeah. held to the to what they've said that they that they're gonna do. They don't want to be held to yeah. it. it's like you don't look at porn anymore. Let's put it down. We're both signing it so that we both know what we've agreed to. And that if they don't do that, they're like, I never said that. And mm-hmm. or they'll hide the piece of paper or they'll be like, Well that's not what I meant. Yes.
1: You took it the wrong way. You're so literal. Yeah. Like I'm a very literal person but my, my, uh, last significant other would say that we blame it on. You're just, you're so literal. You're not taking it the right way.
0: Yeah. It's your fault.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was my fault too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, heavens! So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess that's for it a little bit. I did, I did end up having that fifth child and I will be honest. Um, I do feel like I was manipulated into that pregnancy, but I also feel like if I hadn't had him, um, I don't know that I would still be here. My depression got really, really bad, and it was because of him that I got out of bed. I had a baby that needed Mm -hmm. to eat. I had a baby that needed a diaper change. I had a baby, and he was, out of all of my kids, he was the easiest baby, hands down. Um, He (laughs) He would wake up smiling. I mean, he just, mm-hmm. um, just the, the happiest kid ever and still is. He's just the sweetest kid. Um, so even though I felt like that whole situation sucked badly, I, I am so grateful I had that fifth kid. And, like, if I were to go back, like, if I were to know what I know now about myself and whatnot, would I, like, and I were starting my life now, I would not have five kids. But mm-hmm. the five kids that I have, um, even though it sucks that some of the trauma and things that they've experienced, they keep they keep me going. Yeah. Um so
2: <laughs> Me um, too. My kids have <laughs> saved
0: my life on more than one occasion and most of the time they don't even know that they've saved my life. Oh yeah. Um yeah. When they were little, um, you know, the reason I lived was for them you know, the reason that I existed was for them. The reason I didn't jump out into traffic a couple of times was because of them. Um, The reason that I woke up in the morning was because of them, because I was no longer, I I had no idea who I was. You know, you're a daughter of God doesn't help, you know, no telling us that we're children (laughs) of God, that we're, you know, that we're so special. Well, the thing is, is that you lose yourself being a mother and so sometimes that's the thing that saves you is that you've lost yourself so you no longer are really focused on the depression you're focused on all the other tasks you have to do focused on all the all the responsibilities that you have um but yeah i can absolutely relate to that my kids have saved my life on more than one occasion
2: Yeah.
1: yeah um yeah yeah so that counseling session that I told you about that I left and, you know, he deflected and said, you know, it's the bishop's fault. He said it was okay that I lied to you, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was that counseling session that I walked away from and I said to myself, this isn't going away. Not the porn, mm. not the porn. The lying, yeah. the gaslighting, the manipulating, it's not going away. Yeah. Um And it it was very sobering and very terrifying for me Um, Mm -hmm. because I had five kids and I knew in that moment I was going to become a statistic and it was, it was terrifying. So that was in May of Did you find yourself, okay.
0: Oh, go ahead. Did you find yourself negotiating with yourself? So like when, when all the things were, when all the things were going down in my marriage and, um, when my kids were little, I went back to school, um, Uh to get a bachelor's degree in nursing. And I had decided that when I graduated, because I was, I was going to be self-sufficient, I was going to be able to take care of my family by myself. Mm -hmm. I, I kept giving my, giving myself milestones where I was like, okay, well, if things haven't changed by this point, then it's over. And then I would push out my line in the sand and I would say, okay, if things haven't changed by this point, then it's over. Then I'm, I'm really done because I don't want to do this anymore. And then push out the line in the sand again and again and again. And nothing ever really changes. It just gets more covert, you know, or it just yeah. gets more, um, you know, it's not, it, it becomes actually a little bit more, um, I'm just going to accept that this is the way that it is, you know, and then it's yeah. the sunk cost. I've put all these years into this marriage and, you know, do I really want to give up now? You know?
1: Well, so it's, in, that's interesting. Cause when you say it that way, no, I don't think that I ever did do that. I never mm. did do that kind of negotiation. It was more like, I didn't tell him that I wanted to get a divorce. That was in May. I didn't tell him I wanted a divorce until the end of December. I wanted to get through Mm -hmm. the holidays, Mm -hmm. one more holiday, all of us together. Um, And during that time, I spent like processing what that meant. Not not the physical aspects, not the, okay, I've got to get a job. I need to like figure out how Mm -hmm. to like, not any of that. Just the talking myself in and out of it, even Mm -hmm. though I knew deep down in my gut, it, it, that was it. I was, I was done. I was done. Yeah. I knew that I could not handle anymore. I knew that my threshold had been met multiple times and it had been kind of blasted apart yeah. and there was no, there was no going back. So, um, yeah, yeah no. <laughs> yeah. So um, I
0: have a, I have a up question for you.
1: Um, okay. The thing
0: about gaslighting in the church, it's not just people gaslighting each other. It's, um, it's us as members when we, when we truly believe in it, we gaslight ourselves, um, and, and try to make ourselves stay, you know, so we're, we're trying to talk ourselves out of, um, listening to somebody who's telling us something that's anti-Mormon or listening to somebody who is saying something that, um, that shakes our testimony. And then we have to bear our testimony to them. Um, you -hmm. know, there's, there's all these ways in which, instead of listening and being self-aware and feeling the feelings and then having a conversation that's intelligent and um, and actually has um, good context and there's give and take in the conversation, instead mm-hmm. the conversation ends because I'm gaslighting myself and making myself remember that I believe in this church. Um, yes. I can't have a conversation <laughs> with somebody and just be able to talk to them on a level that is um, intellectual, scientific, being able to say, well, what if this, then this, and I'm wondering if that self gaslighting in the church, um, between the self gaslighting, you don't even know who you are because you're told who you are from the time you're born, um, and where you're going and all these things, the self gaslighting turns into a lack of self-awareness where we can't even, we can't even accept that. Um, I'm this person, but I don't even know who this person is because this is not who I was meant to be. This is this is the person I was told to be. And then, like leaving the church is very painful, and 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 having to figure out who you really are. But then once you really figure out who you are and who you want to be, and what you liked and what you lo- what you like and what you don't like, what you actually, you know, what you actually want to do with your spare time that now you have all the. <laughs> Yeah. all this spare time and a 10% raise, what yeah. you want to do with that is completely up to you. And then you're completely, you, you completely lack self-awareness, Yeah. you know, and, and gaining that self-awareness and learning how to heal. Um, I think that like this platform is something that has helped quite a bit, um, mm-hmm. for me, yeah. but, um, yeah. I, I think that, uh, I think that's probably part of the process of getting out of not only a, an abusive or, you know, terrible relationship, but also mm-hmm. getting out of the relationship with the church yes. and honoring, yes. honoring your own needs, honoring your own, you know, things that things that you want to do, but also having to do the work to be able to be
2: self-aware. Yes. Yeah.
1: No, that's actually one of the, one of the major focal points of, as I was Sitting down and kind of writing out kind of a timeline of stuff, so I would try to keep things in chronological order. Which you know is going so well tonight, you can tell. Um, <laughs> hey, you <laughs> but, know what? The the
0: people that listen are going to hear exactly what they need to hear. You know,
1: that, that's true. That's true. They, they and, don't need in uh, chronological order. <laughs> they
0: don't. And and as long as you feel comfortable with your story and that you got everything out that you wanted to, then you know, this is about you, you know, this yeah. is, and yeah. I know that sometimes I'm making it about me, but I hope that it sounds like I'm no. trying to, you know, relate,
1: 100%. So. Yeah, no, yeah. one of one of the major thoughts that I had in that whole thing was, um, just that whole, just waking, like, well, okay, so first of all, the fact that when all of this happened, um, That's that's really that was kind of my my pivotal point for pulling back that rug on all of the questions that I had about the church um, Mm -hmm. were buried. And once I knew my marriage was falling apart, I questioned everything. I questioned everything, everything, everything that Mm -hmm. had been a foundation to me. I questioned it all. And I don't know what it, when it was that I turned off listening to myself. Um, I do feel like that happened at a really young age. Um, eight? <laughs> no, you know, so one of my, one of my earliest memories, which I think was before eight, imagine, you know, interestingly enough, um, was learning, say, you know how we're all, in our families and like our family of origin so like our parents and our siblings and we all have our place within that family in quotes you know Mm -hmm. um you you can see my quotes but nobody else can so like um we we all have our place in our family this is our role and if anyone deviates from that role they are put back into that role because if you step out of that role it makes everyone else super uncomfortable and the equilibrium is off right So Mm -hmm. I remember one time and I realized this is a little thing. And I know if my family were to hear this, they would just laugh and be like, Oh my gosh. But this was significant to me. Um, My parents had rented the making of Thriller. Michael Jackson's The Making of Thriller. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Have you ever seen that? I I probably have, but I don't remember it. So
0: tell me about it. Okay. So
1: it was, It was really scary as a very young child, (laughs) (laughs) even though, you know, the making of it, you see them putting the makeup on and you know that it's not real, but then they go into character. And as a young child whose brain is not fully developed, it's real to you. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I remember being terrified and I remember thinking, I need to hide that I'm scared because Mm. my brothers are going to make it worse. And that's exactly what happened. I remember my family, I remember being like curled up as far into my, the corner of my mom that I could possibly get. And I remember Mm. my family laughing at me at how scared Mm. I was. And I remember two of my brothers making their eyes go really super wide and pretending like they were (laughs) zombies. And Mm. that terrifying me even more because I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's come out, you know, the imagination of a young child It's come out of the screen Mm -hmm. and now my brothers are zombies and they're going to get me and like, Mm. and my family was just laughing at me. And I remember Mm. like wanting to scream like I, this is not funny. I am terrified Mm. and nobody is like, this is going to be comforting you. No one's comforting comforting me. I don't, I don't feel safe here in this space. Yeah yeah and um and so I learned at a really young age to turn off my fear, my anger,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I just was yeah like not- like nothing, and mm-hmm. I remember getting to a place where I felt myself starting to wake up, like I felt things in my gut, and I'm like. Whoa! Mm-hmm. What is that? And then I would mm-hmm. question that because it had been so long since I'd actually heard my gut because I've been listening so much to what I was told, you know, that him do what is right, you know, just do 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 not feel, do yeah do 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 mm-hmm. do do, and yeah, um, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is uh, one of the things that I've learned is that um, if we see, if we feel an emotion, and we label it, and we call it what it is, then Mm -hmm. that emotion goes from our amygdala into our Mm -hmm. frontal cortex, which is our decision making part of our brain. And so our ability to feel and perceive emotions can flow into the right place. And then we know, like we, we can do something with it, instead of skipping Mm -hmm. that whole amygdala step, And going straight to the frontal cortex and so you know as members of the church we're conditioned to feel shame we are conditioned to feel shame over everything if Mm -hmm. we're angry we we are conditioned to feel shame if we're sad or depressed no you have the truth you shouldn't be feeling Mm -hmm. that so there's yeah you know like even in the temple loud laughter you know like we're conditioned Mm -hmm. that that is a shameful thing you know Yep, yep. Feelings are not shameful. Like no. we're human beings. That's who, like that's so much yeah. of who we are. We are feeling yeah. creatures. Um on top of that,
0: just ahead. uh um it's not just that we're conditioned to feel shame, we're conditioned to give credit to the church. We're yes. we're conditioned to um to say what I'm feeling right now is the Holy Ghost we're conditioned to believe that everything we feel is outside of ourselves and that it's influenced by things outside of us that we have to be either worthy or we're unworthy. And then, then when we're attributing it to something outside of ourselves, then it becomes confusing. And then if we're confused, then confusion is of the devil, you know? So If I'm confused, it's not, I need to think about this and say, I'm feeling confused and move that to my frontal lobe, right? It's Mm I'm, I'm feeling, um, I'm feeling like I need to go read my scriptures or I'm not praying enough. (laughs) Like you were saying earlier, it's not, I'm feeling confused. Let's go figure out what's going on. Let, let me, you know, think about this. It's not, I'm feeling confused and I need to um, look at my two choices and decide what's best for me. It's, I need to go pray about it.
1: Yes. It's an external authority. It,
0: right. Yep. And, yep. and what I've determined after leaving the church is I am God. I am Absolutely. my own God. You know, Absolutely. I don't I don't need anything outside of me to tell me what is right and what is wrong. Their religion isn't the authority on right and wrong. Feeling they do not have exactly a what you're saying. Nope. No, they don't. And and feeling being able to say like you just said, I'm feeling anxious, saying it out loud. I'm feeling anxious. Well, where do I feel it in my body and where and what is causing me to feel anxious. Mm-hmm. That changes things. It's not um, I'm feeling anxious because I'm not doing enough. I'm feeling anxious because I'm not reading my scriptures. I'm not I'm feeling anxious because I'm not saying my prayers. I'm not magnifying my calling. That's why I'm anxious. No, yeah. no,
1: no it's not. not
0: at all. <laughs> it it may be contributing to your anxiety because you feel like you're not enough. You feel like you're you're not you're not meeting all these expectations, but the reality is those expectations are placed upon us by people who have no authority over us. Yeah. Those expectations have been placed on us from the, uh, from a young age to keep us so busy that we can't figure out who we are. We can't figure and, out and
1: it, what we want. And we, supp- and we suppress what we mm-hmm. have, like the, the feelings that we have and, and any ideas that we might have about ourselves that everything is just like rolled into a ball and just suppressed. And yeah, so it, does not give power to anything that we feel um, Mm -hmm. because we haven't been able to name it for what it really is. Yeah. So when we go from an external, so when we go from an external authority to an internal authority, what we're actually doing is we are not suppressing that we can't, we can't, we can't suppress those feelings anymore. We Mm -hmm. tune into actually who we are, and we allow mm-hmm. ourselves to feel. And, you know, that process is really scary. And it is not an overnight, smooth feeling sort of a thing. It is messy. Nope. It is, it is. so many bumps and bruises. It it gets, it can get really nasty really quickly. But in order yeah. to get through it, you have to just keep doing it. You have to keep doing it. Yeah. And eventually, instead of reacting, we feel something we react. Because it's like, oh, my gosh, this feeling is so uncomfortable because I've never like really worked through this before. So instead of mm-hmm. reacting, eventually we can sit with those feelings and we can give yep. those feelings what they need, which is compassion mm-hmm. and understanding mm-hmm. and validity and empathy. Mm-hmm. And learning how to do those things actually causes us to be able to regulate our emotions.
2: Yep.
1: And that's something that most people, at least for me, when I was an active member of the church, I could not regulate my emotions. Part of it, Mm -hmm. I think, was personality, but a huge part of it was that external authority that was, like, telling me, constantly telling me what to do instead of that internal authority. Because that was gone. Well, when you were, I had shoved it down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you were a kid,
0: you were, you were shamed for being afraid. You know, there was no compassion there. There was no No. understanding there. How do you give yourself compassion and learn to understand yourself and and be patient with yourself if those who are your examples are laughing at you and making fun of you when you truly are frightened, that you truly are very terrified? Um, And and leaving the church and learning how to be, um, how to have independent thought, learning how to... um, be able to sit with those emotions and work through them in an intelligent way, and working through them in a way that's healing. Um, if you try to tell your family about those emotions and those feelings, they're still on this this pathway, and those family members are still active in the church. Sorry, um, then you you trying to figure it out on your own is going to look like to them like you're suffering because you're not doing these things that you're supposed to be doing and and so there's not there's still not the support you you can't find support i shouldn't say you can't there's probably members of the church that are that are pretty good about these kind of things but if you have family members that are so wrapped up in the church and so wrapped up in the doctrine and so wrapped up in telling you and shame and guilt and telling you that what you're doing is wrong and telling you what you should be doing, which is reading your scriptures, saying your prayers, all the primary answers, then you can't have that supportive network where you can heal. You can't have that supportive network where you can process those emotions. So you end up doing it alone unless yes. you find a community of people who also are going through the same thing. So yeah, I mean, it's really hard. That's that's why I think we lose our families, um, our uh, the families that decide to stay is because there's it's a toxic relationship at that point. Um, yeah. And I have I have toxic relationships in my family too. There's there's people that I don't talk to anymore.
1: Yeah. Siblings yeah. that I don't
0: talk to anymore. Yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's that's definitely a huge. I feel like that's a big part of where I'm at right now in my life. My Mm -hmm. current situation in my life right now is trying to figure out because so when I, I remember when I knew I was getting divorced and the feeling that I had was this. I can't tell my family. I can't tell my family. That was it was so heavy on me this feeling of you can't tell your family because you're not safe with your family. Mm -hmm. And I remember my, my ex-husband telling me, (laughs) uh, so I told him at the end of December that I I wanted to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. We didn't sign papers until May. And then in Tennessee, there's a 90 day waiting period before your court dates even scheduled. And then Mm. your divorce is final. So Mm -hmm. we didn't sign papers until May. Um, He, it it was um, right before Mother's Day. And he said, "Um, I don't want this. So you get to tell the kids. Which really sucked because all along the way, he was like, no, I get it. We're in this together, like blah, 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 blah. And that was, I think that was kind of his last ditch hope that, if i had to do that that i wouldn't go through with it and of course by then it had been a year since i knew and i'm like okay when 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 would you like for this to happen so mother's day mother's day he had me mm. sit down with the kids and tell them and um no it was the night before mother's day cuz the kids went to church on mother's day and one mm. of them told their classmates My parents are getting divorced, and that classmate went home and told her mother, who in turn called my mother, and that was the first time that she'd ever heard, that she'd heard anything about it.
0: Did they also
1: tell your mother that you
0: weren't wearing garments?
1: Um, I don't know. I I don't know. (laughs) know, At that point, I was not wearing garments, for sure. Uh, Yeah, because at that point, I was not. But... (laughs) You know, you know. at that point, I still also dressed really modestly, too. Like, the idea of wearing a tank top or shorter right. shorts, like, scared me to death because, you right. know, yeah. I had not shown that skin mm-hmm. in years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So, oh, man. Yeah, but my mom called me that night, the night of Mother's Day, and she was like, so I got a phone call today from, you know, so-and-so in your ward. And I said, yeah. And she was beyond hurt that I didn't call her. And I said, Mom, I know how much you love you know, I'm not going to say his name, but you know, my ex-husband and she did, she adored him. Uh, and I said, honestly, I didn't think that you would be supportive of this.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and she was, she was angry and she was hurt. And so I, you know, at that point I eventually told my siblings, but what's interesting is what I hmm. knew would happen is exactly what happened. We got divorced and she invited him and the kids over to her house for dinner to visit way more often than she invited me.
0: That's gross. It was awful.
1: (laughs) I was like, wow, now I see where I stand. Thanks for that. Um, (sighs) And it was not until he got remarried and discarded her because he didn't need her anymore. To Hmm. think of him as, you know, again, image. Aren't I such a great person? I'm the victim here, blah, blah, blah. Well, he got remarried. He didn't need my mom anymore. So he discarded her. She was super hurt about it. And then she saw his real behavior and she was like, I can't believe how much he's changed. And I just wanted to scream like he hasn't changed. dude! Like this is, this is why I divorced him, honey. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) like, you know, I was really angry at that moment. I just, I wanted to just shake her. Um, And, you know, I I get it. She only saw what he wanted her to see. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I get it, but at yep. the same time it was super hurtful because at that time it was not just, I'm getting a divorce, but it was also, I'm not going to church anymore and I'm, you know, whatever. And out of her, so out of my parents, six kids, three of us have left, three are still very, very active. Um, mm. So my, me, my brother and a sister have left. My sister is still an active member of a Christian denomination. I consider myself more agnostic. I was Christian for about a year. And then I was like, you know, the Bible, like if <laughs> the Book of Mormon's not true. Like, what? why is the Bible true? But the, you know, anyway, and I was mm-hmm. like, and, and and the stress of having to have the answers and to have a knowledge and a testimony and all of that just stressed me out so bad that I just thought, wow. you know, I don't have to have the answers. And the fact of the matter mm-hmm. is, is if there is a God, if there's, Jesus Christ, you died for my sins, whatever. If all of that really took place, would my life be any different? And the answer was no. And so I stopped stressing right. out about it. And yeah. I just. Well,
0: yeah. Did you find that um, when when you let go of all the, I know the church is true, I all this certainty that really wasn't true certainty, it was just what you were told, um, oh, totally. letting go of yeah. all of that certainty that uncertainty is actually beautiful uncertainty makes it so that all (laughs) the world is open to us all these possibilities all these things that we were told were bad and wrong and don't associate with these people and don't do this now it's like all those things are just like wow I can I can go and make my own choices and decide if this is right or wrong for me I don't have to follow some standard that was given to me by some old white men who also are conflicted in their
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It took me a while to get there. It took me a long yeah. time to get there. Um, I remember actually having a conversation with a, a high school buddy that we got kind of reconnected, and he—that was one of the things that he said—is like, isn't it, "Isn't it amazing?" And I said, "Actually, right now it's not. It's terrifying." <laughs> and. Yeah. He's like, really? And I said, yeah, Yeah. it it really is because I've lived my whole life having certainty and now I don't have any. And I literally feel like somebody just pulled the rug out from under me and I know Mm -hmm. nothing now. And it's terrifying. And I have kids to raise in this world and I have no idea what to like teach them and tell them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he, I remember hearing him talk about the beauty of it and that helped. It was comforting Mm-hmm. And it, but it took time after that to like process that and unpack that and get to a place where I'm like, it really is a beautiful thing. And I think that now, but I've also been gone out of the church for eight years now. So mm-hmm. it's just taken a long time to get there.
3: Yeah. Um,
1: it that did not happen overnight, <laughs> it took, year, no, that took it years doesn't to happen. get there. Yeah. Um, it's been five years yeah, for I, me. It is now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah yeah but um, it, it took it took a lot of it took a lot of time <laughs> yeah 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 it's yeah it 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 is it's it's work and it's i think the nice thing is is when you're in the middle of it when you're in the just in the middle of the crazy, it's really easy to go this is just really hard, it's taxing it feels like I'm walking through mud um mm-hmm and a swamp and like every step is painful and it hurts and it's awful. But then when you can take your head up for just a second and look back behind you and go, okay, I've actually made some progress. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I can, I can keep going, but yeah, it it takes one super difficult step at a time and a lot of rests in between the steps, um, which is okay too. Because again, like coming from a place that we're supposed to be busy and anxiously engaged all the time, like that's Mm -hmm. that is a hard place to also step away from and go, you know what? Rest is actually important. It's actually good, right? (laughs) Well, and being able to,
0: yeah, it's being able to just sit with yourself, you know, being able to just be in the moment and not. Not thinking about what I what I've done in the past that's you know still sitting with me, and what I what I have to do for the future. What I have to do for Sunday. I have to go and um, prepare a lesson. I have to go and you know I have to say my prayers every day. I had so many lists in my phone of what I should bring to church with me. Um, what I should you know all the things that I should accomplished by the end of each month, um, going yeah. to the temple, um, you know, making sure my tithings paid, doing my visiting teaching, all the things that were laid upon me as expectations to be a worthy and upstanding member of this church ended up being the things that once those were gone, I had no idea what to do with myself. Yeah. I, I I would sit I have this little patio oasis that I have that I sit in this, like this big egg chair swing and for, it took the longest time for me to be able to sit out there and just sit there and not feel like I had to get up and go and do a whole bunch of things. And I've finally gotten pretty good at it. And I really, (laughs) I really like my patio oasis because I don't, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. You know, like if I don't want to do it, Then there's certain things that that I need to do to be able to support myself and my family. But um, if I don't want to do something, I I am happy to say no at this point, you know, and Yeah. yeah, and people in my life, if they're Christina and I have a saying that if it's not a fuck, yes, then it's a fuck off. I don't oh, have is. any place. Yeah, I don't have any place in my life for people who don't want to enthusiastically be a part of my life and understand me and know where I'm going and have an interesting conversation with me. I don't have room for people in my life that that can't not that aren't self aware and are not really interested in spending time with me as I am, not expecting me to change.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've had that same thought in the last six to eight months or so just that I have had people reach out but I feel the, the feeling that I get again in my gut is this person's mm-hmm. reaching out to me out of quote duty they feel like yep. they Obligation. need to yeah mm-hmm. not because they actually yeah. want to and yeah. I'm like no I'm good yeah. like th- mm-hmm. thanks but I'm good you, you go use your energy somewhere else because it, mm-hmm. it, that kind of energy is not welcome in my space
0: right exactly if yeah if you're if you're assigned to be my friend no thanks you know yep I I don't have any place for that yeah
1: I mm -mm. no yeah Yeah. (laughs) I definitely feel the same way and and it's the the, also the and and again as an Enneagram 9 this is so hard for me but the Mm -hmm. idea of that I don't owe anybody an explanation yep that's hard. That is that, that has so been very hard. Really hard
0: for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um. Because I, yeah, I'm definitely the one that over explains because I don't want to hurt any feelings because, and, and mm-hmm. no, no, the truth of the matter is yeah. it's okay for me to say no mm-hmm. and not a no, but, but no is a complete sentence. A no
0: and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's, it's no, and I hope you find somebody else to help you. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 And yeah. and honestly, over-explaining is also a trauma response.
1: Yes, it is. It is.
0: Yeah, because you you feel like you need to tell people the, your reasons. Why can't I? You know, and then you start gaslighting yourselves yourself. Well, I could probably fit it in here and here. Yeah. You know, but do oh. I really even want to? Do I want to? Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to do things that are assigned to me without my consent, you know? And and the reason I say without my consent is because I've, I've been told from a very young age, you don't say no to a calling. So if I am being called into the Bishop's office and I'm being asked, I'm being given a calling, I don't, I don't have the choice of saying no. I've been told from the time I was young, you say yes, because if you don't, you miss out on blessings.
1: Yeah. They're only asking as a formality. (laughs) And and then it's like, well,
0: by saying yes, I'm overextending myself and making it so that I can't accomplish the things that I need to accomplish to survive. So Mm -hmm. now there's this huge conflict that I can't, I can't say no, because if I do this thing, and I magnify my calling, then everything else will fall into place.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm done with that. Done with
1: I, that. I, uh, yeah, I agree. I remember one time asking my dad. Um, I'm trying to think of when this was. This was definitely when I was still active, but I think it was also during a time that I. I was starting to wake up a little bit Mm -hmm. and I remember asking him because a he's my dad, he's a priesthood holder. He's been in the church a long time. He's had all these callings and saying to him, I remember being taught you can't say no to a calling. How, how do I go about this situation here? Because I don't think that I can say yes to this calling and mm-hmm. I remember him saying to me, if you don't feel like it's a good fit for you and, you know, with you in your life right now, it's okay to say no. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember being floored, but I remember just needing that validation from somebody else yeah. <laughs> who was a priesthood holder, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to yeah. do it. I remember <laughs> asking him and hearing that and going, wow, this is. This is different from, Mm
2: -hmm. and so
1: it's been really interesting, like talking, I guess, just comparing my parents the way they were growing up, and then as a teenager, and then now, their experiences, and my mom really hasn't varied very much, um, but my dad has. My dad has. Mm. We've had some really interesting conversations. I remember, too, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I remember after leaving the church, um, my ex-husband had gotten remarried and was attending a, a ward that was about I don't know 40 40 minutes away from where I lived, and the kids' records were in that ward because I, you know, my name, my name and records were not on the church supposedly, right? So um, there were some issues with my uh, ex-husband some legal issues that were coming up post-divorce that were going to make, going to make things hard for me, but really going to make things hard for the kids. And Mm. I, I remember trying to have a conversation with him about it and him saying, sorry, that sucks. They'll get over it. Kind of a thing from him. And my dad saying, why don't you go and talk to his bishop about it? And I said to him, I said, Dad, his bishop is not going to listen to me. I am not a member of his ward. I'm not even a member of the church anymore. He's not going to listen to me. And he said, right. But your kids are in his ward. And your mm-hmm. kids are the ones who are being affected by this decision. So I think mm-hmm. that you should give it a shot. And so, you know, I took his counsel because mm-hmm. I really felt like in my heart that when he was bishop and when he was in leadership positions, I I know he took his callings very seriously, like, especially as a bishop, like he took care of the people in his ward. And Mm -hmm. so I did, I went and I tried, I like had some email correspondence with this bishop and we had scheduled a time to meet. I went to the building and he took one look at me and kept on walking. And I waited there for like 25 minutes. He never came back. So I got in my car and left and I emailed him and I said, I went there, you know, I, I made eye contact with you. I know, you know, that I was there and, you know, thanks for nothing. And mm-hmm. within a few days, I, my attorney reached out to me and he said, he had the emails that I had been corresponding with this bishop. And he said, have you been talking to wow. Yeah. (laughs) And I said, yes, because he's also my kid's bishop. And he said, you can't, you can't do that because you 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 know, your ex-husband said that you're defaming his character by talking to his bishop. Yep. So I told my dad, yeah, I told my dad about it and he was furious. He was furious. He said, I would never in a million years. Allow a woman under my jurisdiction to be treated that way if I could do anything or say anything. Because on the Temple Recommend interview, it says, da 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 da, and you know, you're supposed to take care of your kids. Like, mm-hmm. he just, like, that was really important to him. And so it really mm-hmm. shook him that this bishop treated me so poorly. Um, and I just, so again, like, just seeing it, it was, it's nice to be able to, like, have those conversations with him, but it's also been interesting to see the shifts based on life experience and just all of that, um, that my dad has gone through um, with that and, and just being able to talk and and recognize that, yes, there are people out there that are good, genuinely good people who Mm -hmm. take very seriously any responsibility to take care of somebody else. Um, so I know that yeah. that's out there. I just know that it's also few and far between. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. anyway, um, uh, so interestingly enough, last night I was talking to some of my older kids and I was telling them about this and I said, you know, what, what's something that you feel like? I should talk about and one of the things that they said was um the blind ignorance of members um because they've got members, obedience too yeah blind, blind yes blind obedience um toxic family relationships um mm-hmm. narcissistic male authorities um yep. And I just thought that was interesting and I appreciate the fact that my kids, even though they've been through such difficult things, which I mean, that would be like a whole, like maybe six hour podcast if I were to share some of the things they've been through with their dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I appreciate that even though they've been through those difficult things that they're able to see toxic behaviors and toxic relationship traits and things like that. And I appreciate that they recognize um, that internal versus external authority, you know, that thing Mm -hmm. that took me so hard. And I appreciate the fact that as a mom, I can hopefully, like, even though my life is very messy right now, I used to have like order and, just all of these things. And, um, and now I'm trying to not make myself smaller, even though I feel like sometimes that's an inconvenience to other people and remind myself that there's actually room for me too. And they remind me that there's room for me too. And Mm -hmm. um, so even though my life is very, very messy, um, and I don't have any idea what I'm doing, I do appreciate the fact that my kids Um, can see some of those red flags and are learning Mm -hmm. to see more of them and learning how to handle those red flags when they see them and learning different communication skills and learning how to interact with their dad. And, um, Mm -hmm. and thankfully enough, like their dads, like their extended family on their dad's side have made tremendous efforts to make sure that they stay connected with them because everybody else is still active. The only people that are not mm. active are my five kids. <laughs> like oh, okay. all of his siblings are active, all of their spouses, mm. all of their kids, everybody is still super, super active. And so the fact that they include intentionally my kids with their family things and they don't shun them because they're not members, they share with them like, their grandparents got a mission calling this last week. They shared that with the kids. Like, even though they know the mm-hmm. kids don't believe in the church, they know the kids respect their goals and their hopes and their dreams and their things that they want to mm-hmm. do. And so they support right. them and, you know, and that's, that's amazing because I know a lot of families don't have that, you know, um, yeah. in my family, it's very different. Um, I know that like, <laughs> I know aunts and uncles and, and grandparents that they love my kids, but some of them treat them very differently. Um, and, and treat me very differently. And, um, my, (laughs) my one brother who was kind of more on the same spiritual, um, wavelength that I was, um, actually passed away very suddenly a few years ago and, Mm. um, which that's a whole thing because because I was positive I I would not have to face that fear of facing what death meant to me because that was a huge fear of mine and my unpacking was facing what what death meant and I thought Mm. it's fine because I'll have my brother to um talk to about this and then he was the one that you know Mm. so so um yeah thank you um But once he, once he passed away and it was just me of my siblings that is like those things have, things have really shifted in the last six months to a year or so. And I don't, I'm back to feeling very much not safe and not welcome. And if I am welcome, then it's only this part of me that's welcome, but not all of me that's welcome. Like authentic me is not welcome. Um, Yeah. One of the kids mentioned, you know, it really sucks that like you can't have deep, meaningful conversations with your family because they don't want to talk about anything religious with you because they're afraid of what you're Mm going to say or, you know, they just think that everything that you think is wrong or bad or like, you know, you're right. Or that
0: you're trying to influence them in a certain way um, to believe like you do, you know, not, Mm -hmm. not. Not uh, to say that they don't do the same thing. You yeah. Know? I mean, isn't yeah. that the whole point of the church? They're trying to uh-huh. influence other people to believe what they believe. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: something that you were sa- saying earlier. Um, oh, one of the things that you said about not being able to have deep, meaningful conversations with your family. Um, I I feel that also um, my oldest brother hasn't been a member since he was um, a teenager, but my other brother and sister, are, um, both very deeply in the church and you can't have a, you can't have a reasonable and logical conversation or I can't have a reasonable and logical conversation with them. Um, Mm. it's a lot of like circular reasoning and gaslighting and manipulation. Um, but what I've learned is that found family is often much, much better than blood, you know, people that it's a fuck yes, right? People that want to be in your life. Um, You know, and in the process of doing this, like, we're all people who see each other, you know, we can understand what the other person has gone through. And, and so a lot of my found family are people that have also shared their traumas with me, whether or not it's been people that have been on the podcast, or just that we have connected on that deeper level because we're all trying to be self-aware and to be authentic and to accept each other as we are and not expect the other person to change. And I think yeah. the beauty in that is that we we learn the things that we didn't learn in the church. One of those being, um, the, the bigotry and the uh, misogyny and, you know, the lack of culture, um, outside of the church. So being able to incorporate, um, cultures that are not like ours, you know, learning, learning from people who are not like us and not expecting, not, not being in that, in that, um, state of mind or in having the perspective that I have something that this person needs. It's not that. It's that I I want to learn about this person and I want to learn what they know and I want to learn their perspective and I want to see how I can incorporate that into my life if it's, you know, if it's meaningful for me, if it would work for me, um, whether it's processing or just, you know, like trying new things, trying new food, trying, you know, things that you're too afraid to do when you were Mormon or didn't have enough time to do when you're Mormon.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that you know, unfortunately I don't believe that I'm ever really going to have a relationship with my brother and my sister because I don't see them changing to a point that they can be healthy and have a, a reasonable conversation with me.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. But,
1: and that's, you know, that's, that it's really, it's difficult. It's, it's heart wrenching because yeah, because you mm-hmm. do feel that connection because of, you know, the fact that your family, but you're right. Mm-hmm. It, it's, when you, think you don't of the have concept-
2: to have
1: that connection, though. Yes, <laughs> you owe them you nothing. Th- yes, yes. When you think of the concept of family, the family is, you know, all of the characteristics that define what a family is. You can absolutely have that with somebody that you don't have a blood connection with, and I do mm-hmm. have those relationships now, and they're amazing, um, especially mm-hmm. given the fact that you know a lot. I- I'm not somebody who really makes friends easily because, mm. and I, and I think a huge part of that is because when I went to church, I never felt that I connected with people there. I, no. I am not a surfacey person. I don't like those conversations to me. They are a waste of my time mm-hmm. and energy. Um, yep. I like people that are real and I never got that at church. I hated relief society, hated mm-hmm. relief society with a passion because I felt yeah. like an intruder. I felt like I did not mm-hmm. belong there. Um, Because It's
0: all for appearances, right? Everybody's there showing their best self, showing the self that is in compliance with the church's teachings. And they're not going to say things, you know, occasionally you get people who are kind of a a black sheep or someone who comes in and, and is willing to say what, you know, what needs to be said. I was kind of one of those people when I was teaching Relief Society, by the way.
2: <laughs> I love that. I love that.
0: <laughs> I would sneak little things in there to make people think, you know, to say, mm-hmm. hey, there's not only one way of thinking about this. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, you're with friends, with people who actually want to be in your life and have those great conversations. I'm, I'm putting way more priority on the people who bring healing um, and who push me to, um, to try new things or push me to, or actually call me out on my shit, you know, mm-hmm. telling me that, you know, Kendra, you know, that's probably a trauma response or Kendra, you need to, um, look at this. Let's talk about this because that doesn't sound healthy. You know, I mean, yeah. i I'm open to that. I'm open to having people say things like that to me. What I'm not open to is passive aggressive behavior and people who think that they're going to manipulate me into changing. So yeah. Yeah. Accept me as I am, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm 100% that way. Um, I've had two really close relationships in the last decade and both of them have ended really badly to the point where I thought, I don't know that I'm ever going to make a deep connection friendship like this because I'm I'm afraid. I'm so afraid of getting hurt. Um, You know, and they were both people that transitioned, I kind of transitioned, transitioned out of the church with even so like, Mm -hmm. we had that connection. Um, But Mm -hmm. one of them, um, you know, authenticity is very, very, very important to me. But Mm -hmm. I also recognize that in my life, I've struggled with authenticity, because, because I've never felt, I've never had a setting where I have felt 100% safe to be exactly who I am. And to show up for myself Mm -hmm. and to show up for those situations, like 100% of the time. And so, you know, one of these really good friends, um, I had reached a point where I was like, okay, there's one thing that I really need to share with her, but I'm afraid to because I'm afraid that she's going to be like, oh, that's -hmm. who you are. You know, I don't think and, and that's exactly what happened. I shared like, a really big thing with her, like, Mm. a a choice that I had made, and she just, like, she completely cut me off, she's like, I would have thought that by now you would have felt like this was a safe place to share those things, and the fact that you Mm. didn't, like, and and it was awful, it was awful, I literally felt like I had, like, I feel like I had lost, it sucks, because it felt like somebody had died, but that person was still alive, and that was awful, um, Mm it was such a devastating loss. And now, like, now that I'm on this side of it, it's like, okay, well then obviously that person was not one of your people, because if she was, she would have recognized how brave it was for you to share that side of yourself. That was really scary to share. Um, and then, and, and the other person was again, like it was somebody that I ended up being in a relationship with who, um, had you know similar narcissistic tendencies that as my ex-husband had and he Mm -hmm. you know it was it was similar to that in that I would share things but there was just never enough room for me because if I shared something it was always turned around to him and his experience it Mm -hmm. it could never be just about me sharing what I needed to share and so like I just made myself smaller in the relationship so the relationship could take place and that's not healthy so you know mm-hmm. um but since then can you
0: share something yeah or if oh, you no, share something then you then you're hurting them right
1: yes. yes yes yeah yeah um and so i'm really grateful again to be on this end of it where i'm like you know what I don't want those types of relationships. I want relationships with people that yeah. one, I can be a hundred percent safe with. And two, there's room for me. Mm-hmm. There's actual room for me right. to be in that space. And I have that now. And I mm-hmm. would much, you know, I choose those 100 times over some of my family relationships yeah. where there is not room for me to be 100% myself because they will not accept who right. I actually am. So And And
0: you can't be open with who you actually are. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be open with who you actually are with people who who you don't feel safe with, who will laugh at you, who will berate you, who will shame you. Mm -hmm. You know, just accept me the way that I am. I'm not doing anything that is hurting anybody else, you know, and I'm not even doing things that are hurting me. You know, Mm -hmm. these are things that are actually who I really am. Right. You know I mean? I'm yeah. being vague. Right. But, um, but it could be anything, you know, it, yeah. and just like the birth control thing, I keep going back to that, but I just, it just makes me so angry yeah. <laughs> because yeah. the birth control yeah. thing, it's like you have to do this thing because I say you have to do this thing. You have to be this person because I say you have to be this person. You have to, you know, it's, it, people don't allow each other to just be who they choose to be who they are you know
1: yeah and yeah. ultimately like mm-hmm. even even if that was a thing though here's the thing that would be between that person and god for that belief mm-hmm. system and the story
0: well it should be it,
1: it should be yeah yeah and and yeah. Beca- because i'm so literal that is what i shared with her at that time it was like no no no, no. This is between me and your son and Heavenly Father. You, you're you not part of this equation. Neither is this prophet that you're quoting. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> no. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. So, yeah. I'm trying to think um, if there's anything else in particular that I want to talk about. Um, yeah, I think there's two... There's two particular things that I do want to talk about because I do feel like this was something that was really big for me when it happened. And I feel like it's something that other people can relate to as well. And that is, um, so navigating both my marriage ending and leaving Mormonism was tricky as a, from a parent perspective. Mm -hmm. so you know the kids had one believing parent and they had one non-believing parent who really had no idea what the hell she was doing (laughs) so um the way that our parenting plan was at that time was their dad took them every weekend and Mm. I had them during the week horrible parenting plan if anyone's going through a divorce do not do that it is the worst (laughs) don't do that yeah don't do it um so the the kids let's see at that time my oldest was 14 and my youngest was four so 14 year olds and I, I've already said her name so Lydia and actually on my Instagram page she and I have done some post parent post Mormon parenting oh. um, lives together so like oh, we've cool. talked about, What she remembers. Yeah. So like we've talked about what she remembers parenting was like before I left the church first, like on a specific Mm -hmm. topic with how it was after I left the church and how that affected her because she's really like, but her and my 19 year old son probably have more memory of that than the other kids do. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And Mm -hmm. so anyway, so Lydia at that time, and she'll laugh about this now because I bring up some of these things to her all the time and we just laugh about it, but She was very, she was in a lot, I mean, I mean, they all were, they were in a lot of pain over the divorce and their dad would often just kind of victimize himself, just like, Oh, Mm -hmm. poor me, you know, your mom didn't want to be with me anymore. And then, um, there was just like some self-righteousness too, that would come from the kids, but specifically Lydia, um, -hmm. she was in young women's and Mm -hmm. she was being taught about modesty and, um, the media that you listen to and watch, and uh, you know uh, the word of wisdom and all of that. And <laughs> I remember the first time that I mentioned to the kids that I'd had a cup of coffee. And I it took a while for me to buy a coffee. Mm. I hated I hated the smell of coffee, even when I was not even when I was an active member. I hated the smell of coffee. It like made me nauseous. Mm. And Mm -hmm. then when I started going back to work full time, I smelled coffee all the time, you know, in my office because Mm -hmm. everybody was always making coffee. So eventually, you know, I didn't mind the smell of it. And then people introduced me to some, you know. The only thing that I'm super racist about is my coffee. I like it as white as you can get it. Um, and uh,
0: there's a song about we'll that. that. There's a song about racist coffee. Really? Yeah, if you look up racist coffee on uh, on <laughs> on YouTube, there's a. I'm right. Yeah, you, you. I'm writing that down. You've got to look up racist <laughs> coffee. It's a song. It's by that, Julian Smith, I think. Julian Smith. Yeah. Okay. He's pretty funny. Looking that one up. Yeah
1: um but yeah like i i started really enjoying coffee um i mean not every day but every once in a while i'd go out in the afternoon and grab some coffee and and drink it and um i remember i have a couple of memories one was we were driving in nashville and we were stuck in traffic and i was trying to not be grumpy about being stuck in traffic with my kids. And I had a random Beatles CD in my car and I put it in and uh, the song come together came on and Lydia leaned over to me and she's like, what is this about? (laughs) I said, well, they were high when they wrote it. So, and she was like, and, and the whole tone Changed. The whole tone of the, of the car changed, and she was like, "We can't listen to this. If we listen to this, we're gonna start doing drugs." <laughs> we're gonna, like, <laughs> and she was like getting really upset about it and I said, Oh hon do mm. you do you want my phone? Do you want to call grandma and grandpa? Mm. They're still active in the church and I guarantee that they've got Beatles music floating yeah. around their house. So yeah. does so does Grammy and, and Grampy. And um and I mean it took a while but now we joke about it. You know, if a Beatles song comes on, I'm like, turn it off, you're gonna be coming yeah. druggy.' and she just is <laughs> like Mom <laughs> uh, And then I, I remember the first time I brought alcohol into the house and it was the same thing. And what's really super interesting is, um, so, (laughs) um, I, I don't like beer. Mm. I've never liked beer. I think it smells disgusting. Uh, okay that's good (laughs) I mean like whatever to each their own but um I so I when I started drinking I tended to be more like a hard cider or like Mm -hmm. a a super sweet wine or something like that and um so a lot of you know a hard cider bottle looks like it's to somebody who doesn't know anything about alcohol it looks like a beer bottle right um Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so in my recycling bin there was glass bottles of hard cider or wine or like whatever. And then whenever my recycling thing was full, I would push out to the road. Well, um, their dad would come and pick them up sometimes on the weekends and the kids would find him outside going through my trash. And if the garage door was open, going through the outside fridge, seeing what was out there. Um, And, he told the kids at one time that I drank beer or was addicted to beer or something like that. And they came home that weekend, super upset at me. Well, some of the younger ones did Lydia. I remember said to him, "Um, she doesn't drink beer. And he said, yes, she does. She absolutely drinks beer. And he's like, no, she doesn't. She doesn't like beer. Um, And the only reason he would even think that would be because he went through my garbage and, saw stuff that looked similar to a beer bottle. Um, but I do remember like at first the kids being upset seeing me drink alcohol, um, because it was just so not okay, according to the word of wisdom. So, um, I can tell your internet is not connected. So I don't know if I should just keep talking or not. So that's I, that's probably what I'm going to do. <laughs> just keep talking. So you can just cut this part off. Um So the other, I think the other thing that, um, that I wanted to share was the fact that, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have left the church talk about this whole quote coming out to their family sort of a thing. Um, I never did that. I, I never did that because honestly it was hard enough going to a divorce by myself. It was so difficult leaving the church by myself and not having anybody to talk to about it um, within my family. At
3: first I eventually was able to talk to my one brother, but it took a little bit to get there. Um, Unpacking, like everything comes in waves. Like it's not this linear thing. Um, And it's something that, um, it really does help to have a support system. And you know, at that time I had a lot, I had a lot of good friends that kind of abandoned me when I stopped going to church. And so my, my support system was not a, there really wasn't much of a support system at all. And so it would have been amazingly helpful to have family members who are like, Hey, like, what is your story? Like, why? Like, and not feel threatened by what I have to share. I don't feel threatened by their testimonies of the gospel. Right. So why do they feel threatened by my non-testimony of the gospel? (laughs) You know?
0: Yeah. I had a really interesting conversation with my brother and I say interesting, very, um, a little sarcastically, but, um, (laughs) that, that, so my brother's a mental health counselor and, okay. um, there, there was a conversation about how I, I don't think it is, um, a good fit for people who have left the church to have a counselor who is Mormon. Um, and this is my personal opinion, but, um, you know, it's founded in some, some logic where, uh, a member of the church that's leaving or has left the church going to a member who is invested in the church and and would in some ways probably um, urge them or encourage them to go back to church versus someone who is an ex-Mormon or a never-Mormon um, who is a counselor then can advise that person um, from a perspective outside of the church. Um, but a person who is ex-Mormon um, can actually advise on on like both sides they can see both sides because we've been Mormon we have been we've been through all of that we um have lived that life and know that it's not for us and that it can be a very unhealthy situation and so we can you know we can empathize with people who decide to stay because we know it was hard to leave and people who are in yeah people who are in the church they cannot um they can't see us see people who have left the church and not see us as a threat because the the whole religion religion in general, in in my opinion, is fear-based. You make decisions out of fear. Um, You make decisions out of um, fear of what might happen or fear of what might not happen or just fear in general and anxiety and and not wanting to have bad feelings. And so instead of making decisions because it's what you want to do or because you think that it's the right thing to do or because, you know, you're making decisions out of fear. So when people in the church don't want to hear what we have to say. Our family members, because we're a threat, they're afraid of what we have to say. They don't want to know the reasons we left because it'll shake their testimony. I think I said that before, but um, they don't want to know. They don't want to know, you know? And they can't see
3: both sides, yeah. Yeah, and I think that also goes back to, like, now that I'm saying this out loud, it's kind of putting two and two together, like us talking about earlier about um, the lack of emotional regulation or ability to have emotional regulation Mm -hmm. because of feelings that you've suppressed for so long. When it's a fear-based religion, you're suppressing that. And like, all you know, is just like, do, 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 do. Mm -hmm. And so, um, having anything to do with anybody that could incite feelings within you is not anything that they want to do because Mm -hmm. of the fact that they don't know what to do with those feelings.
0: They just don't know. Yeah, the the feeling is confusion, right? The the feeling is mm-hmm. cognitive dissonance. The feeling is, yes. um, <laughs> yes. the feeling is of the devil. It's it it's been taught to us over and over again that that feeling of confusion is because you know the adversary is trying to pull you away from the gospel. The adversary is trying to pull you away from the truth. So it's just this this confirmation bias of you know, this is, this is exactly what I was told. This is exactly what I was told was going to happen. I feel confused and I feel conflicted about what's, what my loved one is telling me about their reasons for leaving the church. But my answer as a Mormon would be to bear my testimony because I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to do. So I would bear my testimony and I would go and I would pray and I would, get confirmation that this was the right thing to do because I would get warm, fuzzy feelings about how I'm doing the right thing. And mm-hmm. it would just confirm to me that my, my loved one is on the wrong path. So I'm praying for them and I'll bear my testimony about them and their wayward ways. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then everybody will feel sorry for me because I have been trying so hard to get my wayward family member to come back to church. Yes.
3: Yeah. Yep. Do you remember those testimonies? Again, it's, 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 again, that narcissistic tendency. We're either victims or heroes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. So. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But if you have anything else to, to add, you're welcome to. Um, if you want to sit with this where it's at, and then um, if there's other things that come up that you wanted to you want to talk about or share, Um, we can add to the recording. Um, otherwise we kind of, yeah.
3: I think that a lot of that, um, yeah, I, I think, I think that's pretty much it. Um, one thing I think I wanted to just recommend for people that might be feeling a little bit lost or struggling with that, um, external to internal, uh, frame of reference is, Mm -hmm. um, if people are open to, to it and you don't know much about the enneagram it's taken me a while to get there but i have really loved learning about the enneagram because the enneagram has helped me learn more about myself and being in tune with my gut and listening mm-hmm. to my feelings and the way that my body responds to different things and has been it's just it's been a really helpful tool for me So that's something that I definitely want to just throw out there for people that might um, be struggling with who they are Mm -hmm. post-Mormonism. It's a great tool. And for women in particular, which I do, I think leaving the church is a completely different experience for a straight white male Mm
2: -hmm. than it
3: is for a woman or for a non-binary or for a queer, you know, like a gay, lesbian, bi, whatever. Um, And there's one um, podcast and I would like to, I'll I'll look it up and text it, text the exact podcast to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a Mormon stories podcast and it's, I don't know if they're still doing them because I, I kind of go in waves with listening to Mormon stories. Like when I'm at a place where I'm, I'm good, I don't, but Mm -hmm. they did a series for a little while um, that uh, included Margie Dillon, who Mm -hmm. I adore. I think she's amazing. Um, But she did one where she talks about the struggle of um, being a woman inside the church and mm-hmm. then what it's like leaving as a woman. And she talks yeah. about, especially like if you're a mother and the effects of having babies and what that is just physically on your body, not to mention mm-hmm. the emotional and the mental struggle. And of course we love our kids. And mm-hmm. <laughs> there's also a lot that goes into bringing kids into this world. And so yes. going from a place where, Not only do we have an external authority, but we're also listening to our husbands as another, you know, again, like another just external authority and not listening to ourselves and being in tune with ourselves. And that podcast in particular was phenomenal, Uh, gave me a lot of food for thought. I listened to it twice. I probably need to listen to it again because I feel like... I'm unpacking a lot more of that now, and and that is the the struggles that I went through being a woman as a member of the mm-hmm. church. Which again, yeah. just it's just a different experience. Um, I yeah. remember my uh, ex-boyfriend saying to me at one point uh, when I started my uh, my Instagram ex Mormon account. He said, "You know, I really thought that." you would just be over this by now. Like you've been out of the church Mm -hmm. for so many years. Why can't you just put it behind you now? And I said, well, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, maybe that was great for you. You're a straight white male who had the priesthood, literally had everything handed to you. And Mm -hmm. I'm a woman. It's different for me. So I had a different experience and my unpacking experience is going to be different from yours. And you don't get to tell me what my experience leaving is going to be.
0: Yeah, on top of that, if you think about, um, you know, so many stories, I mean, on multiple different podcasts, but just listening to the people tell their stories on this podcast, mm-hmm. religious trauma mm-hmm. is trauma, you know, yes. we and and sexual trauma as a child is trauma. And when we um, when when those things have impacted us on a on such a deep level and have been so deeply ingrained into us we are going to be unpacking this for the rest of our lives. There are going to be things that pop up that we're like, Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't remember this thing having this much impact on me, or I don't, I, I didn't realize that this thing that I'm now looking at from different, a different perspective actually caused a lot of these other feelings that I had, or a lot of these decisions that I made. And, and, Going through the, the grief cycle every single time where you may not go through the whole grief cycle, the denial, or the de- denial, anger, bargaining, <laughs> yeah. um, depression, anxiety, acceptance, yeah. acceptance. Yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't, it's not linear and it's not going to happen um, the same for everyone. And, and it's not going to happen that you have all those things happening about every issue that comes up. You know, or every uh, every teaching that you had in the church that then also informed your your life choices. So we're all going to be unpacking it in different ways at different times and have different aha moments. It's not going not every like you just said. Not everybody is going to do it the same. Not everybody is going to just get over it. And people sometimes I think people who think that they're over it have just stuffed it into a box and have yeah. decided not to go through the hard process of, of um, unpacking it and go through the process of examining all the all the issues. And I, I worry about those people. I worry that they will fall back into, not maybe not back into the church, into the Mormon church, but they'll fall back into beha- patterns of behavior where they don't really understand where those patterns of behavior come from. Um, so until you really unpack it, you don't, you don't really have that perspective where you can, where you can really see it all.
3: Yes. And I, and I also think that you're going to go right back into that, the um, cycle of suppressing those emotions mm-hmm. and not learning how to regulate your emotions. And yep. you cannot, you absolutely 100% cannot heal until mm-hmm. you get to that place where you are able to sit with your feelings Yep, and yep. give yourself, self-compassionate understanding and validity and empathy and all of that so that you can learn to just regulate that emotional cycle that we all go through.
0: Right. Um, And accepting those emotions instead of pushing them down, like you said, I mean, we, the more we push them down, the more we don't associate with those things and, and make associations between those emotions and what caused them, the more we're just going to behave or react in a way that's not healthy You know, it's Mm -hmm. not going to, it's not going to help any of our relationships to not really understand where, where the root cause of all those issues are.
3: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then we're just perpetuating a cycle instead of choosing to end that cycle of generational trauma. Yes, exactly.
0: Um, Yes. Yes. so So much. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, do you have any Instagram page or anything that you want people to follow um, or to find you? or?
3: Sure. Um, I So I'm also at a place right now where my personal life is a little busier than yeah. it normally is. So I don't post as much on this page. But my public Instagram page is actually <laughs> – you're going to laugh at the name and it makes me smile every time. <laughs> but it's um, – Swexy Xmo and Swexy is S W E A X Y E X M O. So that's awesome. And I got that. People are, I don't know, I've had some people are like, that's such a weird handle. Well, I really got into the Peloton um, oh, uh-huh. years ago. I love, I love the Peloton. I love writing. And one of the instructors made this comment about, um, how, you know, the writers are swexy and I'm like, that's great.
0: That's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: But yeah, you, people can reach out anytime. I'm, I'm definitely not in my angry ex-Mormon phase anymore. So there's not going to be a lot of that. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a lot more of, um, recovering from narcissistic trauma, um, mm-hmm. whether that's with actual narcissistic personality disorder or just people with narcissistic personality traits. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just because I, I, you know, again, we talked about this before about how the church breeds narcissism, because I think that the, the church is a narcissistic
0: Entity,
3: organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it creates narcissists. And yeah. so a lot of the things that I talk about on there is recovering from narcissistic relationships whether that's with a person or a parent or Mm -hmm. uh, like um, a romantic relationship or an organization so
0: yeah yeah awesome well um I know you were mentioning that it's hard to find friends who are self-aware and authentic and um Christina and I have talked back and forth um uh, with whenever she's gotten your permission to talk to me about the things that she's talked to you about um and just kind of pr- in preparation for this, uh, this interview, this episode. And, um, you know, we all live in different States, you know, it, 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 doesn't make it so that we can't connect with each other, you know, and some of the best connections I think are coming from people that we find or people that find us and, um, having these conversations and being able to um, just really relate to each other and validate each other. And so I hope you know that um, you have a friend in both Christina and me and probably our other um, uh, survivors that do interviews. Um, but, you know, feel free to reach out anytime. Um, Thank you. you. know Maybe we'll visit in okay (laughs)
3: come to nashville come to nashville yeah that's what i was
0: gonna say maybe christina and i'll take a vacation to uh to nashville we we tend to like to be travel buddy travel buddies it was so nice talking to you if anything comes up that you think that you need to add we can find a way to add it in um if uh if you'd like and then i'll work on getting this recording um uh, excuse me uh uploaded and I can send you the raw recording also, if you like, um, or I can just send you the edited one. Um, but other, either way I'll send you the edited one so you can listen to it and make sure that you're that you feel comfortable with it. So,
3: yeah, that's awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm really like I was, I think the biggest thing about being nervous to talk was I was afraid that I wouldn't articulate, yeah. you know, as I well as I would like to, so that people, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I think it was fine.
0: Yeah. it was fine. Um, sometimes I think I talk too much, you know?
3: Oh, I thought it was great. Okay. I thought it was great. <laughs> I didn't want to be the only one talking because, again, like that's yeah. so uncomfortable for me because I'm usually the listener and not the sharer.
4: <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Latter-day Survivors. You can find us on the web at latterdaysurvivors.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Latter Day Survivors, and we're on Twitter at LD Survivors. As survivors of trauma and abuse, we wanted to provide a platform for survivors to share their stories. Many survivors of all types of abuse may be able to recognize and relate to the patterns of behavior in the victims, abusers, families, and friends of the stories shared by other survivors on this podcast. Often as we escape oppressive family, religious, and social constructs to a safer place where we come to see our abuse and all related issues, we are better able to process and begin to heal. We believe that when we share our stories with others, we can also help them to heal. It can take decades for survivors to find the courage to speak about these things. If it is so hard for adults, imagine how difficult it is for a child to speak up. We hope to normalize these discussions so that children can speak to adults earlier. As adults, we must listen and recognize the severity of the abuse, its potential consequences, and the need for action to stop the abuse as early as possible. Just knowing we are not alone, that there are other people who have felt and do feel the same or have endured similar experiences in life can remind us that we are not alone in this.
5: It's not your fault and you don't deserve all the bad in the hurt. Ooh, I know you tried so hard. Ooh, I know you've done your part. It's not fair your time How much longer will you suffer in this life But don't give up Just hold on tight you should